0: Welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast designed to provide information and education around our four-legged friends through interviews with other pet professionals, dog owners, and my own personal experiences. I'm Elizabeth Silverstein, a certified dog trainer located in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now that we've gotten done with the unexpected snow, it's of course time for a few days of rain. But in other local news, Cabot is looking to add a training and behavior department through their proposed community animal support service center, which includes an animal behavior training and education center. This new service center would also house the community programs an animal wellness and surgical center and the adoption center they say that all are designed to increase the quality of life for the citizens of cabot and their families if this proposal can move forward it would be an excellent step forward for central arkansas and i hope more local shelters will follow suit dan and i discuss a similar program at her shelter and how it helps animals stay with their families Mom Mel has once again heard arguments to dismiss their breed-specific legislation, which would help animal services actually handle dangerous dogs instead of just discriminate based on breed, which we know doesn't work. There are a lot of emotions around this issue, but most states and cities, which include more recently Denver and Colorado, have dismissed their BSL. Telltale Dog has always and will always remain a bully breed safe place. But anyways, classes have restarted for the week after the snowstorm shut us down. Stay tuned for today's interview with Dana Falsetta. A certified dog trainer located in Maine. I first met Dana back in 2017 when I interviewed for a dog training internship through Philly Unleash. We talk about her journey towards becoming a dog trainer, what makes Philly Unleash so special in the programs that they offer, and we discuss a few tips on handling puppies, which was her specialty before she moved to Maine and took over the behaving and training department at the Animal Welfare Society. Take a listen. Hi, welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein. And I have with me today, Dana Falsetta, another talented and certified dog trainer who is currently the Behavior and Training Program Coordinator at the Animal Welfare Society's Canine Training Department. Dana previously worked as certified professional dog trainer and certified behavior consultant with Philly Unleashed for 10 years. And that is where we met. And I'd say she's heavily influenced not only my path as a dog trainer, but that I even became one in the first place. Hi, Dana. Welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: Hey, Liz or Elizabeth. I don't know. I've never called you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Fire <laughs> <your name. laughs> Liz is fine. Um, yeah. I go by Liz, Beth, Elizabeth. So it's always funny to see, you know, what people call me depending on where they knew me in a certain time period.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was like, you haven't corrected me in the last few years. So yeah. And I would say that all that stuff is pretty accurate. I didn't work for Philly Unleashed for quite 10 years, but it has has been
0: 10 years since I started. Okay, I was wondering about that because I thought you were there officially six years. Was that right? Uh,
1: eight, eight. Okay, I think maybe nine. I don't. I started in two thousand eleven.
0: Okay, and I nine. nine. Yeah, nine years.
1: Yeah, eight, eight, almost nine. I, I started. Yeah, it was, it was very. <laughs> About eight-ish, nine-ish years. We are officially calling our department just the Behavior and Training Department at the Animal Welfare Society now because I help a lot with cats and small animals and weigh-in. So we're trying not to be so (laughs) species-centric at the moment, but I would say that the majority of my responsibilities and certainly public programming is is around dogs.
0: And that's indicative of your past experience too, because you've worked and volunteered at zoos and worked with all sorts of animals.
1: Yeah, after I'd been training dogs for a little bit, I wanted to explore and see what other training opportunities were. So I interned with the Philadelphia Zoo, which was amazing. Realized that as a professional career, that dog training was a little bit more viable and more in line with a flexible schedule and So I kept volunteering for them, and then I kind of moved to volunteering with the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia, who has a pretty great, uh, or they did, I don't know if they still do, collection of animals for program use for education. I really, really enjoy doing that aspect of training, of working with animals as ambassadors for education and and conservation. Uh, And I get to do that a little bit at, at AWS as well. I do work with our humane education department with dogs and cats and uh, sometimes other species. We keep a classroom snake, so that's fun, uh, and we talk about training, and we talk about animal welfare, and we do some demos and get to the kids learning about you know body language and all sorts of how to approach dogs, how to talk to grownups about animals that they find, those kinds of things. So I still get to do that part when we have those programs and that's fun too. So I still get
0: to do a little bit of everything. So I wanted to rewind back to the beginning too. So you you got your degree, you we're a little similar in this. You got your degree in something completely different than dog training or behavior. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and so did I, I'm English lit. And I believe you got, you got your degree in art.
1: Yeah, yeah, I have a bachelor of fine arts.
0: And how did you move into dog training from there?
1: Well, I um, moved to Philadelphia and I didn't want to do art anymore, like right after college. So I was working in a community building with co-working spaces and helping to do some project management, which I, which was pretty relevant to my art degree. You always had to, project management is, is just rolled up in the, in that. So I just shifted the subject matter. And then I still just didn't want to sit at a desk anymore. I I was with this awesome company that still exists um, called Punk Ave. Um, They're an amazing, thoughtful design company. Awesome uh, clients, one of which was this history museum that was moving their collection online. And one of the board members for that was a board member for a program called New Leash on Life which was a prison dog program in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania uh, based out of Philadelphia. And from, you know, one day I was like, I, you know, let me just think about what could I do if I could do anything? It's like, I'd like to work with animals. And then I didn't know other than being a veterinarian or a zookeeper, what were the options? And I looked into it and I said, well, training's a thing. And, And there were some schools available online at that time, but not awesome. And I didn't, you know, you could go to college and have a formal animal behavior degree, but those programs are still really rare. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to go for a master's degree. I didn't even know if I'd like it. So I talked to that woman who was on the board for New Leash on Life and I said, Hey, who's your trainer? And she said it's Nicole Loraco at the time. Um and I called, called Nicole and said, Hey. I think I want to be a dog trainer. And she goes, okay, sure. (laughs) I didn't realize at the time how many phone calls that one gets when you are a pretty, pretty amazing professional trainer that you get these phone calls fairly often for people going, Hey, I want to be a dog trainer. Mm -hmm. So, but she was awesome. And she, she was in the process of just starting her own business, Philly Unleashed, after changing careers from animal control and the PSPCA. So, she graciously met with me over coffee and it's like, yeah, you can show up, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I, at the, the other thing that happened at that time is I had really decided to leave my job and work in, in a vet's office, just if that was something. So started working at the vet's office. I was talking to Nicole. I started, I started training with Nicole before I started at the vet's office. I would go after work and go observe her classes. And I did a couple rounds where I just sat like a little mouse in the corner watching. And then I got to do a little co-teaching, and then I would drive out in rush hour traffic out to the suburbs of Philadelphia, which in Maine miles is not crazy, but in Philadelphia miles, it would take like over an hour after a 10 to 12 hour work day and go mm-hmm. watch and then help teach. And then she's like, huh, you just keep showing up. <laughs> she kept showing up. So she uh, she kept teaching mm-hmm. and then about six months later, I was starting to really teach my own classes and work on that. And within the year, I was certified as a professional because I once commit to something, it's it's there. And I just worked really hard at it. And I spent a double life as a trainer and a receptionist slash behavior consult slash whatever needed to get done at the vet's office for several years before diving into only doing training and
0: I want to talk about that just a little bit it's not easy becoming a dog trainer it just kind of seems like and I've had a couple people reach out to me too and be like I want to be a dog trainer I'm like all right here here's how to get started and then never hear from them again because it is really hard work and you do have to show up a lot I know when I started at Philly Unleashed I was like assisting with six classes a week and on the farm three to four you know days a week and it was just like immersive and it was a lot and it is challenging. And I think my, my, my brain didn't click with it for like six months in before I was like, oh, I think I think I'm starting to get it. It's hard.
1: It's hard, uh, especially if you don't have any background in behavior or even worse, if you're not intuitively good at reading body language or dealing with behavior. And even if you start with all the nicest dogs, how to teach somebody something is hard how to teach something to somebody who is not the same species and doesn't speak the same language is very hard and there are some handbooks to it but you really have to go and do it and that's one of the you know I, I'm an avid reader and I was reading all of the books and I was watching all of the things and at one point Nicole had stopped and said to me she's like well you just have to start doing a lot more of it you got to just do it and that's really when I think I became a much better trainer is I was I was only like in a box focusing on what I was reading and then reproducing it in classes. And then I just went out and, you know, just get your hands and train dogs. So that was really invaluable uh, advice. And what I always try to pass on to other trainers is you want to be a dog trainer, go volunteer and learn from work under somebody, learn under somebody, and just put your hands on as many animals as possible.
0: (laughs) Yes. Cause it's really, it's not enough that you had this really cool dog that you taught how to, you know, do things. Yeah. It, that's great. It's great that you taught your dog to do things and that you had a good relationship with your dog, but you really, there's nothing compares to just handling a variety of dogs, sizes, ages, circumstances, because that's when you really learn. And that's when you're, I think you're the most humbled of how much practice it takes. Cause it does, it takes a lot of practice.
1: Right. And I'm still learning and there
0: are still things that come up where I go, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's Yeah. Someone said to me recently too, is like, when you are, when you've learned so much, you're just always aware of how much more you have to learn. Like it's a never ending process. And then it's just, it's always funny too, to like compare that to the people that don't know that much that think they know everything. And it's just like, all right, I guess I guess that's good perspective, but maybe there's more to it. (laughs) And there's nothing that anybody can say to somebody
1: who is just starting out to give them that knowledge. They
0: have to figure it out themselves. And it's a very humbling moment when it does hit them between the eyes. It's like, that's why. And it
1: doesn't matter of like, hey, learn from my experience or there's so much more out there or you can just say it, but you don't really internalize it until it, it hits you. And Um, not just with dog training, but just in general, I remember my sister, my little sister and I are three years apart. So she was starting college as I had been finishing college, our four-year degrees. And she had this goal and this mindset. And I had just been through four years where I started off as a history education major and switched to an art major and now was, had moved to Philadelphia to do, be a project manager and just telling her like, just leave the door open. You don't know what you don't know. And you should take this time to like do things that you will never have an opportunity and financial <laughs> leeway to ever do again. I know that you're on this track and wanna be this and, and need to go here, but listen, like take that class that like isn't relevant and do that. And she was like, no, 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 no. I do it too. There are people who are like, no, no, you're gonna like take, take a second, think about this. This is gonna, you know, you'll know things later. And, uh, and you're like, nope, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> and until you hit that wall where you're like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't.
0: It, it's so true. And yeah, the other aspect I found to that too is nobody can really, nobody pays for that, those choices except, except for you. So if you're if you're trying to have someone else tell you exactly what to do and you're following the lever of the law and it doesn't work out the way they say you still have to pay for the consequences right or if you still like ignore their advice and you just do what you want and you realize maybe that wasn't the right thing you still have to suffer the consequences so we're all on this journey and we figure it out and then you know maybe we wish we hadn't done it a certain way but you're you get to make those changes moving forward and it's just it's a fascinating look at you know human nature and
1: Absolutely. And for me, there's I'm I'm pretty lucky. There are very few choices that I made regarding being a dog trainer <laughs> that and that career move that I would say, oh, I wouldn't do it that way again. Mm-hmm. I also feel like I don't know if it's me or circumstance or just some blend of all of it, but I had some pretty good opportunities and good timing. Mm-hmm. You know, I already been working for a little while, so being a professional wasn't difficult. I had been an independent contractor, and the amount of skills that that takes to just function as an adult in your early twenties, <laughs> instead of being an employee where someone's like, "Well, here is your paycheck, and your taxes are taken out, and you work for this many hours, and you, these are your job responsibilities," you know, I left college and was a contractor, so it was like make up what work that you have to do. If somebody finds it valuable, they will pay for it. You have to be responsible for all of your finances and taxes and everything. And it's all different and taking multiple jobs and figuring it out. Um, so that all really helped. And then, you know, I had a good opportunity to say, I would like to work in the structured environment around animals to make a relationship in animal care profession which, with the vet's office and learn this new thing of being a trainer and then realizing that trainers and vets need to work together really well. So that has always maintained a big part of my practice is balancing medical and behavioral and, and counseling people on when they need to bring their vets in. So, uh, so many times I get phone calls that I don't even ever need to see them because they've said X, Y, and Z. And I said, did you go to your vet? Cause I think your dog might have a medical issue. And they go, and they're like, oh, yeah, it wasn't a housebreaking issue. He just had a urinary tract infection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So (laughs) having that awareness early on was helpful. And I got to kind of grow up in in these two different structures of animal care. And then I pulled in the vet's office. and, And with the training, Nicole had already had a bunch of training experience, but it was still a new business. So I was still early on in growing up with her business. So she could afford at that time to take in a trainer who didn't have a ton of re- ton of knowledge, but had a good work ethic or what she needed. And then as I, I grew as a trainer, her need as a business owner grew. So that was just really fortunate timing. And then adding on learning different and alternative species with the zoo and applying for an internship. Like I had already felt like I gained this much knowledge and behavior. So then I started to say, okay, well, where can I go with this? Let's see if the same techniques work on multiple species. And then when you work with animals who are not dogs, you realize how forgiving dogs are. Really, that evolutionary pairing of dogs and people and, and growing up together over 15,000 years has made it very easy to train dogs. Other animals are like, mm, I don't care. <laughs> I have no real history, you know, genetic history, and being able to read your body language. So, no, are you praying? Maybe. (laughs) Uh, So that I felt took my training to the next level, and then, you know, things kept growing, and then I moved to Maine because I wanted a change of scenery. So I had to figure out what the next step was, and. You know, we had done a bunch of shelter work as a contractor with Philly Unleashed in the past and thought that a shelter, and it's so funny to even call it, we don't really, I mean, it's the Animal Welfare Society and it is an animal shelter, but there's so much more to it than that. It's really a place that is focuses on community services and has a pretty robust dog training department. Like it would offer multiple group classes Again, with the timing thing, I decided to move up to Maine, happened to be the same time that their person who was the leader of the department was thinking about retiring. So I was like, oh, come on. And then uh, she'll take a little bit of a break and then come back and teach me a bunch of stuff. And then she can kind of teach as she wants to, but I'll take on the main roles. And then we had a pandemic. (laughs) So everything kind of shifted from there too. So... Yeah, it's been, um, it's been different. One of the things that once we had already been a full-time contractor with Nicole, she bought a farm and we started expanding the business into boarding and needed people to help with training and cleaning because before we had no stay, stay with us program. So then, the, you know, having to add that care element on top of it mean, meant we needed a lot more help. So that was also cool because Nicole had this opportunity to help people who said, I want to be a dog trainer and
0: be able to pay them. And let's talk about that for a second because it's almost unheard of to, as a dog trainer, to be paid to learn. Totally unheard of. So what Nicole is doing by
1: hiring people who seem like they're going to fit the bill. They might not have a ton of knowledge, but bring them up through training a bunch of animals, like put your hands on as many dogs as you can as her philosophy of how to learn training basics. It totally makes It's a perfect model. And I think anybody who like you has gone through that programming and we've had people who have stayed for a long time and people who have stayed for six months or a year and moved on by we, I mean, Nicole and Nicole at now that it's just a brilliant opportunity. Like really, it's kind of dog training gold right there that I I honestly don't know anywhere else. Mostly you would you would pay for that privilege of being able to put your hands on as many animals as possible with access to.
0: Other certified professional trainers to teach you podcasts. I posted a couple, uh, like last week, I think was about alphabet soup and you know the certifications and these programs run. Uh, some cost as many as over five thousand dollars. Cheapest are like two thousand dollars. So to be, yeah. you know, paid to learn is absolutely incredible, and it 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 really changed my life. I don't know how else to describe that. Right. So I think
1: Philly Unleashed and Nicole has a really special model there of how to bring up trainers. And that's something too, that she helped teach me how to, how to teach other trainers, how to bring up people and the ones who stick it out when they realize that, Ooh, this is a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be. We don't just play with puppies all day. Some of these things are like real issues and sometimes it's cleaning up poop. A <laughs> so, lot of
0: poop, oh, so
1: much poop every uh, single day. Shelter work too, and definitely zoo work. A lot of poop. Poop first, then you get to do the fun stuff. That was really just, again, being in the right place at the right time and surrounded by cool people who, you know, you could help grow their business. And yeah, and through that, I just kept learning, picking what I found interesting. So uh, you mentioned, yes, I really am pretty good at puppies. I... Early on, loved teaching puppies. It's what Nicole kind of stuck me with in the beginning. And it sort of stayed through. And one of the put your hands on as many animals as possible is we ran a puppy socialization program uh, that was drop-in, So that was, you know, that was something I kept from the first week of training on my own through the last week of working with Philly Unleashed. Like I never stopped doing that. And I think it's because there's something so cool about helping people with their young animals and start like you have this fresh puppy that you can really help people have this companion for hopefully many many years so I really I like that to specialize in and then I really like to work with dogs who are fearful or really anxious or quiet so then that I that's where it led me into being more of a behavior consultant and why why I pursued that instead of only staying with puppies although both of them always inform each other (laughs) those fearful dogs were puppies at one point. So I like to stay in both of those and I don't do much of the middle anymore, but yeah, that was, so I specialize in fearful, fearful dogs who sometimes it ends up in aggression. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And I would say the biggest difference now in, is I kind of live in this two worlds of working at the animal welfare society of the, some of the dogs that I work with are, The animals I work with who are in the shelter are not owned by anybody. They don't have a family saying, I know this, this needs work and I'm willing to do it. And we know that behavior is so based on the environment that by the time, if I'm working and assessing a a dog in the shelter, working with my coworkers who are seeing and caring for that animal, what we see is not necessarily indicative of the behavior that that dog is going to experience in a home. So that is hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a, as a trainer to see these animals who have certain behavioral tendencies that you're seeing and you're, you're pretty sure are going to be across the board, no matter where they are, but not having someone saying, I can give this animal a stable home and work work on this and I can I can do the behavior modification plan Mm -hmm. sometimes we do have dogs and we have a couple in right now who are there a little bit longer and we have a behavior plan for them but it doesn't mean that's getting it anywhere past the doors of the shelter so when that animal gets adopted it may restart all over again because somebody's not doing the maintaining that plan or The environment is different. So the behavior changes and it needs a new plan. So that's one chunk. And then I do have the public side because we do have this public program, what we call public programming, which means, you know, the dog training business part of part of it. And we have animals that if they were surrendered would be very difficult to place in a different home, but because they are there working for training and have a home and have a family who can do the plan they're going to be more successful. Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting. And sometimes it's a little heartbreaking because there are animals that if they had someone to stand up for them, probably could help them. But Mm -hmm. because they don't, their behavior isn't such that it's safe to place them area. So it's, and luckily that really doesn't come up very often, but uh, that's a different spin on everything I had up until this point. Mm -hmm. of I always had like somebody standing up for this animal and I'm going to help them all be successful as a family. And I'm so happy that that's still the majority part of it. But there are places where you're like, oh, this is hard because this isn't the right environment for this animal to get better. So can we do good enough until it can get into a home and we can continue to support them there mm-hmm. or this, it's going to be okay in the shelter, but we know, especially like separation anxiety. It's like we get dogs in with separation anxiety all of the time. And it shows up at like 10% in the shelter. Cause there's people around all the time. There's other animals around. So they're not really too bad, but and there isn't anything I can do to help change that behavior to the point where when the person who adopts them is going to be able to modify it, like, oh, this dog doesn't have it anymore. So yeah. um, we do the best we can in those situations to say, hey, here's all of this free training and support. Once this dog gets home,
0: we know it probably has this issue. I'd like to ask you about that program. It seems like a pretty unique program, but it, it seems like that's coming up in more shelters across the United States. Most of the shelters here in Arkansas do not have any sort of trainer or behaviorist on staff at all. So it was really interesting for me to hear about your program and then also see what usually happens in like some of the East Coast shelters that I've been in where there's like a trainer on staff. How did that start to happen? Why is your program so unique and and what benefits do you see from it?
1: We loosely call this our stay at home or keep at home Programming, And it's not just my department. And we are lucky to have two full-time train, certified trainers on staff, as well as others who are contracted with us to teach classes and other things. So in mm-hmm. the shelter, we actually have two people, which is great. And this keep at home or stay at home is kind of twofold. So for our department, it means if somebody is calling that they cannot handle their dog or their animal, because actually we get plenty of cats with this too. That due to behavioral reasons, they cannot manage it. It's dangerous or it's not working. Or sometimes it's even something that's, it's a very manageable problem, but somebody doesn't know how to. We get to offer them support free of charge or at a reduced rate or whatever seems necessary to keep that animal with their family. So I have like all of this leeway for that. And then the same kind of goes in a couple other directions too. So for dogs or animals who are adopted from us and then get into their home and it's like, oh, now they're doing this thing that we didn't see or didn't know about that we can help offer continued support if we need to at a reduced rate or, you know, keeping the animal with their family and giving everybody support is really part of our mission. So that's been a pretty great opportunity. And that comes from our executive director. It's part of our mission. And she is all about services and, and being a community resource. So that's part of it. We do also get to have just like people who want to train their dogs or need dog training advice or private lessons and other things who are animals who are not in immediate danger of being returned or surrendered to the shelter. And that functions more like, you know, regular dog training business. A lot of counseling goes into usually do tons of follow-up to just make sure that uh, if people really do need that, that help and support that they can get it.
0: And do yeah. you also offer like puppy resources with that program? Yeah, actually um, that just came up today
1: <laughs> as I was at work and one of my puppy's uh, siblings Uh, had gotten adopted and they were having a little trouble with him and uh, not knowing what was normal or not so I was like oh you just you just took this puppy home let's make sure you can keep it we I also do my best we send out a lot of information with people at adoption so I've written plenty of handouts of starting out right with your dog and you know puppy (laughs) there you go Speaking of puppies, (laughs) little link in the background. Um, Yeah, so we also, we provide a lot of written support and handouts too, like at adoption, Um, we have some standard stuff of like what you should expect, some troubleshooting for common problems. And then if it's a puppy, we have a whole different set of handouts to help with that. And uh, and then we have some for specific behavior issues as well, if, if they're known to us. And most of the behavior issues that are known are because they were in the report from the people who dropped the dog in the first place.
0: So I know COVID has messed a lot of things up for a lot of people, dogs and and puppies included. What are some of the ways that you've been able to help your clients get their puppies socialized?
1: Sure. We want to make sure that we think about that socialization is not just dogs and people. So socialization is gaining a positive experience about new stuff. And the most amount of new stuff that we can do so we started with making sure your puppy is cool with walking in the grass and walking in the snow and walking in the woods we're in maine and walking on a sidewalk and seeing a box in the yard and you know different types of weather and different types of objects and toys that squeak and you know food puzzles that move food puzzles is a big part of socialization doing some training too of learning to learn. So all positive stuff of like, you know, encouraging puppies to make good decisions, rewarding those decisions. And then if you would go for a walk, like people up here at least were walking a lot because it was outside and it's something that you could do. I just, you know, it's 15 degrees here today and snowing, but you know, when all the lockdowns hit here in Maine, it was still spring and summer. So you'd at least walk and see other people and you could practice calmly seeing another dog without being able to say hi. So we would encourage our clients to really like bring treats out on your walk and you see another dog. So we treat them for seeing another dog. It's positive experience. A lot of times like our leashes are six feet long and our social distancing guidelines were to keep six feet away. So we would encourage some on-leash greetings and then our regular, you know, how to do dog intros for- people who are in your bubble. So if there are people who had stable adult dogs in their family bubble, they were actively able to hang out with, then that was a good socialization opportunity. We practice with our family members of appropriate greetings, so which we would say to do anyway is you start by you know helping people keep our puppies' paws on the ground and greet, greet puppies by bending or crouching. They've always known it.
0: <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: adult dogs. It didn't come up as much as I thought it would. So really it's only been a handful of our shelter dogs and then really no one in class having issues with masks. But we were doing some limited uh, in-person classes and over the summer we were having outdoor puppy class but in a fenced-in area that was only used for our class and everything was disinfected. People could be pretty far apart and let their dogs play that way we would keep it to three three people at a time and three dogs at a time. And then we offered online consults as well. We kind of just shifted a little bit, but focused on other aspects of keeping your dog social.
0: And are you working on anything that you'd like to
1: promote? You know, we're doing online classes now. So that's pretty, you know, uh, which I guess if anybody listening anywhere, you don't have to be in Maine to take them. And they are a live Zoom meeting, but pre-recorded class lessons that then we meet on Zoom to discuss. So that's available on our website. And then every week we are doing a Ask the Trainer session on Tuesdays, which is free. Um, and that's a video uh, that's kind of different every week and covers a different topic. So great free resource if you have any. <laughs> and we have that as a YouTube playlist and also on our Animal Welfare Society Teachers Pets Facebook page and that's our training Facebook page. So right now, all of our classes are four weeks. I think they're 95. So we're also doing these four-week modular classes, which we decided would maybe be able to get the most amount of people in Mm -hmm. and least amount of commitment as well. So we found that every time we had a six-week class, there was never any way that all the people in the class would attend all six weeks. And that's been a problem for as long as I can remember. So we shortened things to four weeks and kind of, you know, our basic class is now kind of an eight week class split up into a part one and a part two so that uh, we could be more accommodating for people's schedules.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, just that, you know, if you
1: want to be a dog trainer, it takes some work. A lot of perseverance and a lot of self-motivation and having a job as a trainer where you're actually an employee at a facility is way more rare than having to either start your own business or work as a contractor. So if it's something you truly want to do, be prepared for some some hard work and find somebody who can be your mentor. And they don't have to be with you and they don't have to be your employer, but find someone who, who can help mentor you because I think that that's really valuable.
0: This has been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein. That's me, your certified dog trainer in Central Arkansas, and my guest today, Dana Falsetta. Music has been provided by Jim Tiago of 7 Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify, and stick around for after the music for some final advice from Dana. Dana, when you're talking to someone about their puppy or bringing home a puppy, what what are some of the most, most important things that they should be thinking about?
1: Wow, there are so many things to think about. So if you are bringing home a puppy and it is your first puppy and you don't have any other animals at home, really think about puppy proofing your place and making sure that management is a big deal. So have some baby gates, have a crate, be prepared to stick your puppy in a safe place when you need a break and that is okay. Uh, And just love them, just just love them and uh, give them a lot of love and encouragement and gently expose them to what their life is gonna be like. Uh, If you're a person who is welcoming a new puppy into a family who already has other dogs, take those introductions slow, know that your puppy is not gonna exhibit the same behaviors as your adult dogs are gonna exhibit. Um, And it might take a minute for them to be friends. Nothing has to happen quickly. Give your puppy some time to learn and grow on their own, as well as learn and mirror off of your older dog. So I think those are my two bigger things, but mostly just love them. Love Love your puppies.